you know, each one is unique in the way that they choose to help people. But ultimately, I think a lot of fulfillment that can come out of life is just being able and being willing to provide opportunity to people, even if, you know, you have your own things going on, right? It's easy to prioritize yourself and be selfish, but it's a whole nother thing to really take other people into consideration and ensure that you can help them along their journeys. Main Street businesses are struggling as they face challenges nothing like we've seen before. You're listening to the Behind Main Street Podcast. Let's learn from real-world Main Street entrepreneurs, pick their brains, and learn their secrets to navigate, persevere, and overcome all the modern obstacles they face every day. Get ready to peek behind the stories, the struggles, and strategies of today's Main Street entrepreneurs. Welcome to the Behind Main Street Podcast. Here's your host, Chris J. Cardona. Great day, everyone. Welcome to the show. Whether it's your first time listening or an avid follower, thank you so much for joining us. Show notes can be found at www.behindmainstreet.com. But before we get started, I would like to thank the sponsor for this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thinkin' Local, a fundraising and giving-based marketing platform whose mission is to connect local Main Street businesses who care about making an impact in the local community with schools and nonprofits who believe in supporting their local businesses. Find out more by visiting Think, the letter in, local.com. Welcome, welcome for today's episode. I'm so eager to go behind the story and journey of Manuel Zavala. He started as a high school computer science teacher and found a need that led to his founding of Student Hires, an organization seeking to transform education by creating project-based collaborations between businesses and educational institutions. I'm looking forward to digging into his story. Manuel, are you ready to take us behind the curtains and dig into your story? Definitely, Chris. Let's get started. Bring out the shovels. Let's dig for gold. So, Manuel, I've given our listeners just a little bit of a sneak peek of who you are. Why don't you tell them a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do? Definitely. So um, right now, I'm the founder of a company called Student Hires. Um, We focus mainly on K-12 after school. Originally, we did start kind of with this background of connecting students with job opportunities, but that's really, you know, the mission of our organization is to connect students with job opportunities. So anything that falls within that realm, we definitely try to make happen, even if it's something as simple as connecting businesses in our area with the students that they need, because oftentimes um, they come across students that or employees that are not fulfilling the duties as they expected. So we just really try to bridge that gap of people coming from university and giving them valuable job opportunities. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, maybe you can tell our listeners and myself something interesting that your family and friends would say about you. Sure. So uh, um, my, my childhood was pretty interesting. I'd say that it had a large effect on the way my family and friends kind of view me. Um, nowadays, I don't have um, too many friends. I still have some friends from back in high school, but more of my friends are kind of the entrepreneurs I meet on a day-to-day basis and the business leaders. But um, something that my family would say, I guess, depending on who you ask, was that I'm a very serious person. So sometimes I think I can even take myself a little too seriously, meaning that like uh, maybe I see situations or encounter situations and respond um, in a way that's unintended. But um, I'd say definitely that would be a, a, one of the things that they would say. Gotcha. What would you say is your life mission? Uh, I think your I think your life mission kind of changes as you go on, right? But as of now, it is definitely to connect students with job opportunities. So in our organization right now, um, this year we've had the opportunity of employing six college students that work directly in our organization as part-time employees. For us, again, providing those job opportunities to students in our community is game changing because ultimately those opportunities can have a traumatic effect or really change the entire outlook of their professional career. Gotcha. I mean, you mentioned earlier, depending on who I ask um, on your family, you know, something they would say something probably different about you. What would you say most people, other than being serious all the time, people misunderstand about you the most? I'd say people might misunderstand uh, where my priorities are. I think, especially as an entrepreneur, um, 
your priorities have to be put in a certain place, especially when you're trying to build something from scratch. So for example, on a Sunday, right, I might be working on my organization or my business while at the same time, someone in my family or friends might be like, Hey, you know, let's do this. Let's hang out. Let's, let's have a beer. You know, that's probably one of the most common things. So I'm always battling with that and trying to not necessarily make people understand that my priorities are just in a different place, but, but really just like myself, you know, being more understanding and being more forgiving towards myself for choosing to prioritize different things. Yeah, I think that must sometimes pose a uh, a challenge sometimes, right? Because a lot of times our families see us a certain way because they've seen us growing up, right? They so like for me personally, like they've seen how I was. I was a, I wasn't a good kid, you know, when I was a when when I was younger, and some some people like will say like, oh, you changed, but you know, we just hope that we're changing for the better, not necessarily for the worse. So I I totally get what you're saying there. If there was one thing in life that you would say that Manuel values the most, what would that be? Um, honestly, probably my relationship with my mother. She's uh, been like a huge asset to me and she's always kind of been there for me when times have gotten like super dark. Um, obviously, you know, everyone goes through their own things, but just being able to have that person to fall back on that's always there for you, regardless of the circumstance, um, makes me really value her and, um, you know, and that's pretty much it. Talk to us a little bit more about that. What is what is your mom's background in life? Uh, so my mom actually grew up in Los Angeles, um, kind of a gang affiliated life, to be honest. Um, my entire family, really. But um, now she works at Kaiser, so she really always kind of promoted like, "Hey, do well in school." That was something very big for her. And I remember when she used to like teach me things like in early elementary and just always encouraging me to get good grades. Um, but other than that, you know, me being able to see her and the sacrifices that she was willing to make for our family, honestly, is is kind of what started encouraging me to do a little more than the average person, I would say. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, you you're doing you're trying to do a lot of different things at a young age. Um, what would you say on a short term basis? What would you look what would you like your impact to be in the next five years? On a short-term basis, um, within five years, I definitely want to create um, a school for students, really. Um, it's not going to be a traditional school like during normal hours, but more so focus on after school, before school, and these additional expanded learning services for students. So I actually envision us having our own uh, building, hopefully you know, a pretty large building that would be able to house a lot of students. And we would actually send our own busing out to pick up students from the campuses who might you know, if their parents are working, they don't really have another place to go. So we'd be able to provide them transportation to our facility and give them expanded learning opportunities with organizations like all the ones you bring on the podcast, right? So we could connect with the businesses to come in and offer workshops. And it's a win-win for everyone, really. Oh, well, you know, in line with that, I'm curious. So tomorrow, you have $100 million in your bank. What would you spend it on? So if I had $100 million, I would definitely start a custom development. So I would get a piece of real estate and start building out this um, dream facility. I think even in terms of a lot of the schools, um, middle schools, elementary schools, and high schools that we see, um, there are clear differences between some of them. Like you might go to LA County and see schools that are in like terrible shape. And really being able to provide a facility that is state of the art and that, that makes students look at it and be like, wow, I want to be there and I want to learn with these people that are in this building. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you say that because a lot of times, depending on your background in life, um, a lot of the kids, you know, right, like, for example, here in Chino, Chino Hills, they get to see schools that are, you know, really, really good, right? Like, you know, like you can pick and choose what school you go to. It's pretty, um, the school facilities are pretty nice and stuff like that. But there are schools in other school districts that are not the, not the greatest. You know, some of them are pretty rough, depending on the neighborhood that you're that you're in and you know you being able to provide an opportunity or an outlet for these kids to be able to kind of see something better see something um to aspire to you know go after after their normal school day is where you can be able to take their hand and really kind of apply things that you know our traditional school system may not be adapt to kind of providing for them uh, you're able to do that, so that's an amazing dream to be able to be able to fulfill that for the next generation of our of our kids. 
and next generation of Americans. Um, going back to your life as a child, you said that your mom, you know, is like you said, a big influence in your life. Uh, you, you have a lot of family that grew up in Los Angeles, you know, um, maybe rough, rough times, you would say. Um, how was that childhood for you personally growing up? Uh, for me personally, um, I avoided a lot of that. And I think given that my parents came from that background, they kind of taught me to steer clear of the gang influences that were in San Bernardino because I actually grew up in San Bernardino. Um, San Bernardino is honestly kind of similar to LA in my opinion. Like you see a lot of the same things and you see a lot of students who are, you know, as early as middle school falling into gang habits and getting associated with those circles. So, you know, their influence really was to steer me clear of that stuff and make sure that I was aware of, you know, the land of opportunity that we all have. Wow. So that's, that says a lot of what you're trying to do with student hired. You're trying to, you know, cause you're, a lot of times you hear the stories about like coaches, basketball teams and other things kind of creating an avenue for kids to stay off the streets and provide them an opportunity to learn a skill, learn a sport and things of that nature. For you, you're sort of doing this sim something similar, but more preparing them for the future life you know, being able to provide, be provided with career opportunities that they may or may not have thought of as they were maybe, you know, growing up in, in the rough neighborhoods that we have here in, in San Bernardino. Um, for you personally, you know, growing up in San Bernardino, was school a priority to you? Did you like any particular subjects or did you have any least favorite subjects for that matter? Um, yeah, so I guess it depends what time frame of school you're referring to. You know, elementary school, I think I definitely started off uh, pretty good, um, was on top of all my grades, you know, a student pretty much, always communicating with my teachers and making sure that I, you know, that I actually wanted to learn what was being taught in class. As middle school came along, I think, uh, you know, just given the nature of teen development and getting towards that age, you know, I started to lose interest in school. Um, started failing some classes out of out of choice, honestly, right? Like I, I wasn't interested in some of the stuff. I didn't do the work. Maybe I was having too much fun with my friends. And then as we get towards high school, I'd say freshman year started off hot. So I was actually in the honor roll freshman year, like, you know, so that's like the top 10 in the school or something. But as time went on, you know, I kind of fell back into that habit of like, hey, like, uh, what, what am I necessarily learning in school? Like, how does this, how does this calculus, how does this, English class uh, play a role like in the rest of my life. And I think uh, uh, because of a lot of the teachers, honestly, and a lot of the people that I was surrounded by, um, honestly, I just I just didn't take it as seriously as I should have. But I think I still I still did enough of the work to the point where I could get accepted into a college. Gotcha. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think for me, I felt the same way. Um, when I was young, you know, you get those academic excellence awards and things of that nature. And you're very proud to show your mom, right, or your dad to get home with this little, like, <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese certificate. Like, you get a, I don't know what it was at that. I mean, you, they still do this today. Chuck E. Cheese is still around. I mean, when I was a kid, Chuck E. Cheese was there. The same thing with you. Um, you're proud for, of the accomplishments. But what was it, do you think? Um, was it personal or was it? maybe the schooling or, you know, the structure of schools that sort of paves the way for us to become disinterested in some of the subjects. I mean, you're, you become a, like, you know, a high school computer science teacher. So you've seen these things firsthand. Maybe talk to us a little bit more about that. I'm curious because for me personally, um, I'm not sure why I, you know, why I kind of devolved into not being super interested yeah, I'd say, honestly, it comes down to um, the mentors that you have in the schools that you're at. Sometimes um, those mentors don't make themselves available to the students that truly need it. And usually it's the students who are struggling the most um, that are overlooked, that don't have access to these people. Or maybe it's because of their mentality at the time that they don't even put themselves in a position to gain access to these people. So imagine a student who, you know, he comes to class every day. He has his hood on and he puts his head down on the table just to start the class. I remember specific times in my high school, you know, career where I would do that. I would literally put my hood on and I would be so tired and just go to sleep. And obviously, you know, part of that, you know, is accountability and making sure I go to bed early and things like that. But had there been a teacher who would have been like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, why are you so tired? You know, or started to inquire about these things. Um, maybe. I would have developed some more interest in, you know, pursuing my fullest potential while in school. And as I became a teacher and I started teaching high school students myself in a computer science classroom, 
um, I noticed that honestly, all of the kids were just like me. I grew up, you know, playing video games and I played a lot of video games back then, which, you know, contributed to some of these things too. But now that I, you know, had that experience and I could kind of see them and what they were going through, you know, I would be that person to reach out to them and be like, Hey, like, how, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? You know, even if the student doesn't necessarily come to you first, because I think that a lot of teachers do feel like they might have a chip on their shoulder. And they feel like, oh, the students should be saying hi to me. The students should be putting forth the effort. But really, they got to understand, like, hey, at the end of the day, this is just a kid, right? They're developing. They're trying to figure out things as they go. Um, and really, our educators need to do a better job of making that effort to reach the people who need it the most. Wow, that's fascinating. So care and, and concern are the two key things that I, I you know, I, I picked up from what you just said. And that's very valuable because I think, you know, me as a, when I was growing up in high school, that's when I kind of like slacked off, right? Um, a lot of times you get labeled, right? You get labeled a certain way and you either, you're either strong enough to push through that and change the narrative about yourself or not. And I was one of those that I just kind of like, oh, this is what you, this is what you're saying about me. So then I'm going to, that, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost um, because the, the, you know, the teachers didn't care as much or weren't as concerned. And, you know, I grew up in, I went to high school in the Philippines and I went to a university high school where a lot of the teachers were like, like professors in college. We're in college. I mean, you're, you're growing up by the time you get to college, but mm -hmm. trying to treat, treat like high schoolers, especially the younger ones, like college students is not the best thing because we don't, we don't care as much about life yet. Right. So we don't have that same why or fire about life. So I think, you know, yeah, our educators need to hopefully um, do a better job to be able to kind of address some of these concerns. Cause I mean, most teachers, they become teachers because they care about making the society better. Right. I, I think mm -hmm. sometimes they just may not be aware of some techniques that, you know, you you've applied. And I think because you lived this life, you're, you're basically applying it from your perspective. Like, Oh, this is what I went through. And I w I don't want my students to kind of go through the same thing. So I'm, I am going to show them that, that care and lending hand and mentorship that I didn't get when I was growing up. So that's mad props to you, to you and your and your methods. Thanks, Chris. I mean, you know, you touched on a lot of different things, but you know, I'm not trying to say educators are necessarily bad or like that they're not putting forth the effort. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of them that do. It's just that usually within a you know a classroom, there is those few students that you know are underperforming, that you know just have don't have that interest. They don't they can't find that purpose or that thing that ignites them. And, you know, just being able to take a step back and say, hey, although, you know, I think I'm a perfect teacher or I think that I'm, you know, more than capable of teaching this class, like, hey, I need to take a step back and really be uh, relatable to these students because a lot of times, you know, they are older teachers and, and they don't have that ability to necessarily relate because they came from a completely different background and perspective. Yeah, most definitely. Was there something in your childhood that, you know, when you look back on, you felt kind of led you to your, where you are today. Yeah, so I kind of touched on it a bit, but um, my childhood was consumed by video games, to be as frank as I can be. Um, you'll see that a lot nowadays, and it's way, way more common nowadays for a student or a, you know, a kid to be consumed by video games and technology, right? Everyone's got an iPhone, iPad. But back then, it was just, I think it was barely in the beginning stages of what what the downsides could be for, you know, playing too many video games or being um, so in touch with technology. But ultimately, you know, having that interest in technology and that video game background led me to want to become a computer engineer straight out of high school. So I actually went there um, my first college as a computer engineer. And after that, you know, through a lot of self-teaching, I ended up getting my credential to become a teacher. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I firsthand, I know my, my I have a 14 year old who's on who's currently right now, as we, as we're having this interview, currently gaming. <laughs> so I know, and I, I, I gained myself. It's, it's fascinating when I was playing with my son now, like call of duty, right? I, I played call of duty when it was world war two, when it was like, it was different. Like the graphics weren't as great. It was like the call of duty zero, <laughs> not even call of duty one at that point. Um, so it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, but I think nowadays what I, what I've been able to see is because a lot of the, the parents played games like i mean, sure when you have your kids you would have a different way to handle your kids that play games because you did it as well but our parents that didn't play games they would just see the stuff on tv like like this is the devil's work you know this is like 
I mean, I'm sure you got some of that when you were when you were growing up from your teachers and stuff like that. I certainly got that. Um, you know, like the Segas, the Genesis were playing like, you know, console games at the time. We didn't really have computer games at the, back then. The only computer game that I played was Doom, which was like they had devils and, and demons, and stuff like that, which sort of lended itself more to being called like the devil's work and things of that nature. But you're able to kind of deal with some of these things, you know, the dopamine levels of what's like, you know, people get addicted like kids, right? Like we as adults get addicted to this from our devices. But our kids don't know how to handle all that adrenaline when they're playing and stuff like that. And they get they get they love it because they get like that dopamine. They, it makes them feel happy and stuff. But uh, yeah, I think being able to recognize that as an adult when you grow up handling your kids, not easier, but at least you're more aware of how it is, you can kind of relate to them a little bit better, I would say. Exactly. Um, yeah. Fortunately, my dad did play a bit of games, so he kind of understood it. But, you know, um, I definitely fell into an addiction. And I think plenty of kids are falling towards that direction without realizing it. And it's like you said, you know, they don't even realize the effect that this constant dopamine supply is doing to them. It's it's preventing them from, you know, pursuing their passion. It's pre- preventing them from even exploring the things that are out there, right? Like when you used to get kids who played on their bikes all the time, now you get kids who are just sitting inside all day, isolating themselves. And I'm sure you can imagine during the pandemic, how many of those students were, how many of those students were playing video games during that time? How many of those students were playing video games during their class instead of, you know, actually choosing to learn or, you know, even go out and socialize. Um, so the pandemic, I think worsened the situation. Um, but that, that's definitely something that I try and recognize is like, hey, and communicate that to my students in the past is like, hey, like, you know, I'm not saying it's horrible to play video games. Like even I still, you know, I make time for video games here. That's a form of stress relief, right? That's a hobby of mine. But at the same time, you need to realize what what else it is preventing you from doing and and the effects of it, really. So you were addicted to games, like you mentioned, from your own words. What was that turning point in your life that made you decide, you know what, like... Not completely shun it, but like, hey, let me take a step back and, you know, do something different with my life and kind of proceed proceed with more caution with my uh, gaming addiction, I would say. Well, um, so I, I talked about how I started college as a computer engineer. So I actually mm-hmm. went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo um, during my first year of college, and I ended up dropping out of college my about midway through my second year. So during that time, um, I definitely started to see the impacts of what, you know, having this addiction for gaming and always wanting to play games and taking too much time can take away from your studies, right? And as a computer engineer at one of the top engineering schools in California, um, that workload definitely didn't coincide with what I was doing and the habits that I had developed from, you know, years of playing video games and doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. So Again, you know, going back to why it's important for students to kind of realize this at an early age is because ultimately, likely, you know, them playing games right now, they don't even notice the effects that it's causing. They don't they don't notice the habits that they are developing that are going to start to show up, you know, once they reach the college level, once they get that first job. So I'd say the turning point was definitely that moment in which um, I dropped out of college and decided to move back home to San Bernardino. Wow. Wow. So now that we've gotten to know your story a little bit more deeper, are you ready to even go deeper, deeper? (laughs) Yeah. Let's take this conversation behind the alleys and go deeper. What does being a part of the local Main Street entrepreneur world mean to you as of today? For me, it really means um, giving people a chance and really being willing to collaborate with people. I think the simple fact that you invited me on this podcast with honestly knowing me for a short amount of time shows that you're one of those people who is willing to support people in our community who are you know, willing to make a change. And I think that's something that's often overlooked and people usually have a tendency to kind of... Um, let's just say test people, right? So the first time you meet someone, you're really thinking like, oh, does this person want something from me? Um, Are they just trying to get something out of me? Like, or do they truly want to get to know me and, you know, support the mission that I'm pursuing? So being, you know, a part of the Main Street Entrepreneur System, it's really, you know, being willing to meet these people, you know, going out of your way to do so, and also choosing to support them with what they have going on. Because 
while we do have our own journeys and our missions that we're contributing to, there's no doubt that you can include other people who, you know, share similar interests and are, are doing things also that you can incorporate into that journey. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's track back. So you, you uh, dropped out of college, moved back home to San Bernardino. And how was that? How was that life like, you know, going from there to becoming first, you're becoming a teacher, right? Before you become an entrepreneur, before you became an entrepreneur, you became a, a, a teacher first. So tell us a little bit more about that journey. Sure. So, um, well, when I first dropped out of college, it was about 2015, 2016. So, you know, being that I had been going through all this stuff, um, dealing with honestly what I considered depression at the time or depressive symptoms and kind of playing video games a lot, you know, that kind of environment. I came back home and I had my mom to fall back on, which we kind of touched on. Right. So I had ended up going back to live with my mom. But um, something at least that was significant for me was just knowing that I can still, you know, take action to better my life. So I didn't let it kind of drown me and and say, hey, well, now that I dropped out of college, my life is over. I'm never going to go back to college. I started planning for, you know, what the next step was. So the moment I got home, you know, I was on Craigslist at the time. Craigslist was pretty popular. So I would scroll through the job boards and I, I found a job. So I actually found a web development position, entry level position at a place right across the street from my mom's house, pretty much. It was down the block. Um, so a very local organization. Um, at the time, during my last year of Cal Poly, I was studying web development during my own time, so I didn't get the chance to do it in the coursework. But, um, you know, in between playing video games and between having fun, I was learning how to make websites because of my dad, actually. So my dad had reached out and he was like, hey, uh, can you make me a website for this entrepreneurial thing I'm starting? He was selling Funko Pops. Have you ever heard of those? those yes, I have. Little, yeah, little figurines. So he was one yep. of the first he was one of the first people, I think, to hop on that train. So he had bought them in bulk. And he wanted to sell them online. And he was like, hey, son, can you make me a website? He's like, I know you're a nerd. I know you're tech savvy, right? You can figure it out. So so I so I did. You know, I just I figured out how to use a content management system. And I learned the basics of HTML, CSS, and things like that. And little did I know that project would be the only thing that I have to present at that job interview, right? So when I jump into this job interview, they're like, hey, like, what have you done? Like, I'm like, well, you know, I'm a student. So I was enrolling in community college at the time also. And, you know, this is all I have. I was like, I don't know too much, but, you know, I'm willing to learn. So and I, ma I made that apparent. And fortunately, um, her name was Elena. She she gave me a chance. That's really as simple as I could I could make it out to be. Um, obviously it wasn't like a super high paying job. It was an entry level position, but that opportunity that she provided for me was ultimately what shaped, you know, me becoming a teacher. Honestly, I think being a web developer for you, um, became your therapy in a way, because when you're trying to code, I mean, firsthand, you know, I, 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 I have firsthand experience of it. Um, my major being web development, when you're coding, I remember the first thing you you try to do is to create like a page that says hello world right mm -hmm. and when you're able to do that in different fonts and make it like slide like i remember back in the day but this is the early like 2000 2001 uh when i first when i was first dabbling or first working on a website 2000 actually um you know i, I was trying to build an e-commerce website for my computer business that was my first official official business that i actually registered a sole proprietor name for um, which was still under my mom because I was 17 at the time. I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, register under my own name. But I remember typing that. And at the time, I was gaming as well. But you kind of get lost in the world of creation. That It's like it's like you're Frankenstein almost. You're creating this monster. And that can do these amazing things. I remember being able to figure out how to mail to, to accept credit cards. But it, wasn't, it was the worst way to do it at that time because I would get the credit card number emailed to me. <laughs> And then, and then I would, that was the worst thing. There's no like security or anything like that. Um, but you know, it was fascinating to be able to accept credit cards online, not really accept it process, but we would, I would process it offline with a credit card machine that I got from the bank. But yeah, being able to create something like that, I think probably helped you out in your gaming because it took you away from the, the dopamine of, of gaming to the dopamine of creating something and it having direct feedback. Cause every time you write code, you see, you see exactly what you create on screen. 
It's going to interact. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is you're trying to do when you're coding, whether it's you're pseudo coding it in your brain or you're typing it there, like it's going to it's going to do something. Whether it's like change the color of a button, you know, navigate from this page like a hyperlink to that page, as simple as that. It's 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 quite an amazing feeling, which some yeah, people definitely. may not understand, but it is. I mean, you and I would attest to that. Yeah, that incremental progress, it's it's like you describe like you just you get honestly excited when you start to see the progress that you're making towards one of the projects that you're creating. But, you know, it's like you said, it, it really did give me an opportunity outside of gaming and outside of the negative habits that I was developing to do something productive that I didn't even realize was productive at the time. Right. I just thought of it as like this nerdy thing, like, hey, I'm doing some more programming. Um, but it, it really was an outlet for my creativity, I think. Definitely. Well, you know, you at this point, you become a you, you got your foray into web development, got into teaching. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Was entrepreneur on your radar at the time? Uh, so, yeah, uh, ever since high school, I think after seeing a lot of the things that what my dad was doing, like his side hustles that he had going, you know, just selling stuff on the side, the different ways that he was trying to support our family. I always knew that a traditional salary and working under someone wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. Um, I do recognize the importance. And at the time, you know, I did know that internships would allow me to do a lot of things and learn more skills from these people. But ultimately, I always had the vision of owning my own business. I didn't necessarily know what it was at the time, um, but it originally started out as a web development agency. So you have some experience in this as well. When I, you know, the moment that I learned how to make a website, I started thinking, well, now I could I could probably charge people to do this who don't know how to do it, right? And it doesn't have to be some some lofty cost, but that's kind of how it started was contracting with um, local employers. And still, I had that mission of being able to connect students with job opportunities. So I would actually hire students to kind of help me in some of these different projects. That's fascinating. I think it, it you know, it, it sort of, your experience are sort of building like your story of where you are today with student hires from the experience that you kind of had, right? You, you got into outsourcing, you know, for me, when I, when I had my agency, I opened an office in the Philippines and I was, I think I mentioned to you when we were at the other night, um, we were doing about 300 websites a month. And the only way we were able to do that is just, we had the human beings to actually develop. Well, at the time we didn't have like the Wix or the Squarespace where you could, you know, we, I think was WordPress, then no no it, wordpress was available but it was more wordpress.com blogging was blogger.com mm-hmm. this, that was a thing like wordpress as a cms as it is today it wasn't like that before i remember we had like drupal mm, some yeah, other drupal. some other stuff like that that were like the big content management system platforms but yeah i mean being able to to do that and just outsource to people scale that's what you were trying to do you're trying to scale what you could do with other students that you can help that sort of sort of boiled into the amazing organization that you already have today that kind of, you know, just ties back into your story. This is back in what, like two, at this point, what is 2017, 2018? Mm-hmm. So in 2017, I transferred to UCR. So I was attending community college, like basically right when I got home, I attended the local community college, which was Crafton Hills. And I actually transferred to UCR in 2017. So all during this time, you know, I was doing web development on the side. I was doing internships. I was doing anything that I could to, to honestly learn from people who I knew were smarter than me. Because I don't, when I think of myself, I don't necessarily think of myself as um, too smart. Like I'm not like, hey, I don't read things and then understand it the first try. But I know that you know, working through it and really having someone to kind of back me up will will allow me to learn it a lot faster fascinating so you said that your dad was a specific entrepreneur influence in your life so was that from childhood like when you were really little he was he always had these side hustle what type of side hustles do you that you saw him kind of get into yeah so my dad he he generally worked full-time jobs um throughout my childhood so i would always see him working um and that was one thing about my dad is that he didn't attend college he didn't he actually didn't even have a high school degree for a long time So being able to see him just kind of go through these full-time jobs and promote himself like to supervisor roles. Now he's like a manager of a distribution facility, Ingram Micro, if you're familiar with that. Um, He built built himself up. So I think having him as an example of like, hey, you know, skills are something that can be attained and that you can actually kind of grow um, was very helpful to me. But in terms of the entrepreneurial stuff, 
mainly what I was referring to was just all these different things that he was kind of selling on the side. He'd always be coming home with new things. And then he'd be like, hey, uh, my sister's name is Regina. He would tell her like, hey, go sell this on Craigslist for me and I'll give you $100 of the profit. You know, small little things here and there that could kind of get us engaged, um, which at the time, you know, I probably didn't even realize the importance of it. But he was showing us like, hey, you know, to be able to make a living, at least in California, for sure, you're, you're going to have to have something on the side of your regular job, especially if you do end up wanting, you know, nicer things. Yeah, that's very fascinating. I know Gary V, you're, you follow him as, as well. Um, He does these, like, I think weekend um, where he goes out into um, some places in like New York where he just goes to garage sales and finds these like hot wheels or you know think like things of that nature and he just goes out and sells it on ebay which is i think it shows us that to make a living you don't have to fit in a box you don't have to necessarily um you know go to college and you know do like extensive education to just at least make a living not like a career where you're going to be ultra successful in life but at least like if you're broke you need to put food on the table at least at the bare minimum pay some bills or extra bills that you could you could get a side hustle going with with today i mean with the advent of the internet now it's like there's so many people that do drop shipping that do like info info marketing you just basically buy a plr plr is something for those that don't know is private label rights of a content you rewrite a book and then you sell that as a you know you become an expert in a particular field and you sell the courses and things of that nature there's a lot of that out there that maybe some entrepreneurs or especially some of the older ones that didn't realize, I think the pandemic opened up, even for my wife, for example, the gig economy was never something that my wife ever considered, right? Because she was always mm -hmm. like the person, either she was, she was, she was a stay at home mom, or she was working in a corporate world. So the in between times of, you know, doing gig work and freelance and stuff like that was never really on her radar because she didn't grow up doing that thing. You know, everybody tells like, you got to go to school and do it this way. And I think what your dad enabled you to see was, you saw another side, not just the employment side, which he did very, very well. Ingram Micro is a huge company. Um, they deal with semiconductors, you know, um, selling you know, chips and things of that nature. I actually dealt with them a lot. They were uh, back in the day. I was a sales person for a um, for a semiconductor, like Japanese manufacturing company, and they were one of our suppliers. We would order my uh, chips, uh, like you know, parts from them because we would sell to like Northrop Grumman, you know, like the you know, like the um, uh, government companies. contractors, military contractors mm -hmm. and stuff. So we would order some of our parts from them, which is, it's crazy. Something super, super tiny. It's like a hundred dollars for like a little, like a, like a little chip. Like it's fascinating how expensive some of these things are, but you know, I, that's off tangent, but yeah, going back to what you were saying, like your dad was able to kind of instill in you and your sister, these side hustles that probably led you to, you know, what you're able to do today full time. So when was it you finished college, you were a teacher, you were, a, you know, you were a, a high school super computer science teacher, right? Mm -hmm. What led you then to like, hey, you know what, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like, what was that impetus? Like, what, what was that moment like? So, um, well, in 2017, when I transferred to UCR, I already talked about how I was kind of in this gig economy environment, yes. right? I was doing gigs, contracting with businesses, going out of my way to networking events, you know, as a 20-year-old, pretty much, you know, maybe a little ill-informed, but, you know, I had the courage to kind of go out, find jobs. And so that, that was already kind of present while I was attending college. In 2017, while I was searching for another web development contract, I end up going to this job fair in San Bernardino. So my my thought process is, hey, I'm going to go to job fair. I'm going to look at the businesses and I'm going to think about the types of marketing services they might need because a lot of a lot of smaller businesses don't have that kind of support. So I was thinking, hey, maybe I could land a contract by going to this uh, job fair and meeting some of these people. So I'm walking around the job fair. You know, I do a couple rounds and I come across a charter school booth and the charter school booth, um, the person that was the person that was there at the time, his name was Edward. He introduced himself and, you know, we, we had a brief conversation and I told him about some of the different things I was doing. He was like, hey, you would you would be uh, a great person. Like, like you're someone that we're looking for, actually. So he puts me in a meeting with the CEO of the company or the CEO of the charter school. And I arrived there 
and you know me going in thinking hey i'm gonna land a contract or web development or you know something with this charter school who clearly needs help i end up coming out um with an opportunity to teach so the ceo turns out to be Dwayne radden i'm not sure if you've ever heard of him he is the ceo of pal charter academy in san Bernardino. um yet another person who decided to give me an opportunity so he saw that i was passionate about technology and he guided me on my path to obtaining my preliminary credential so he walked me through all the steps that I would need to take. And given that I already had the work experience to obtain that credential, it was a pretty easy process. And shortly after, you know, I was still communicating to him my visions of, you know, what kind of company I wanted to build and how I wanted to help students. He, get, he actually gave us the opportunity to do that. So in 2017 was our first contract. It wasn't called student hires at the time. It was under a different name. But that was our first contract with a school or educational agency where we hired computer science teachers to teach at this charter school. So it was mainly people that I know, people in the organizations that I found at UCR. I'll basically go through all the HR process, get them set up so that they could teach in a class simultaneously while I was teaching a class as well through my credential. Wow, that's fascinating. That's a fascinating story. Being able to juggle that and kind of maneuver your way from trying to get a contract and then kind of landing a a whole company, pretty much a whole opportunity for a whole business. So when you so talk to us about like, okay, today is your first day actually implementing this contract, you got the contract, how was that like? Like, because you, you're not only responsible now for your own abilities to teach a class to maneuver that, but you're also bringing other people that you may or may not have a lot of knowledge of their background, how good they are in being able to actually deliver on the contract that you just signed. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so keep in mind during this whole time, you know, I was attending the University of California, Riverside, trying to finish up my bachelor's degree. So honestly, uh, 2017 to 2019, were, that was a, about the time frames of that contract. I graduated in 2019 also. Um, it was the most stressful time of my life. Uh, there was that contract going on and, you know, people at school, my friends, honestly, my family didn't even know that I was a teacher. And I'm not one to kind of put my business out there and just be like, hey, guys, like I'm a teacher now. Uh, but it was something that I was doing while I was attending college. So basically, I would go into teaching, right? And like you said, it was a new experience for me. I didn't know how to be a teacher. So a lot of the initial days were were pretty difficult. Um, Powtrider Academy in San Bernardino is a pretty tough school. A lot of people continue it, a, a continuation school. So kids who are dropping out of high school, and it's kind of their last resort to make up credits so that they can graduate. Um, a lot of the initial interactions that I had with these students, um, given that I'm a pretty serious person, I didn't know how to really meet them on their level. And the same thing would actually occur with the people that I was contracting with too. So the students that I would bring in would come up with similar problems. They'd be like, hey, like this is going on, like I need your help. And I'd be and I'd be in class at UCR, like trying to, you know, get through class and trying to get work done and things like that. So a lot of different things going on, but ultimately, um, it was it was a very stressful time. Wow, that's, that's impressive. I, 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 you know, just kind of absorbing your story. It's it's very very impressive um, for at that time. I mean, you're you were even younger to be able to take on this level of responsibility because you're not only responsible for your yourself trying to finish like your degree, but also now to a company, to a charter school that's trusted. That it trusted its part of its education platform to you, but also you're bringing in a whole different level of people, kind of putting them into like you're just kind of building these. Like I was watching um, this weekend, I had an opportunity to watch um, a Vikings Valhalla. Like this one night, my 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 daughter's sick, so I'm like trying to like I didn't want to work. I was just watching TV, and one of, one of the episodes that they have was this this king that was describing that her mom was a good cook. Her mom was a good cook because she was, mind you, in Vikings time, she was cooking in the fireplace. She had multiple pots going and they would all finish at the same time. So when you, when you were telling your story, it's sort of, I mean, not that it's, it's related to cooking, but I'm trying to see like for you, this is what you were trying to do. You had multiple pots. You were trying to serve dinner. You had multiple pots happening at the same time. And it was upon you to make sure that all of this finished enough in dinner time, and they had to all be delicious. Basically, <laughs> I don't know how that food analogy came in there, but that's that's what I was thinking when when you were telling that story, which is 
very very fascinating and and you know thank you for thank you so much for for sharing that with us so now you you juggling all that of course obviously you're able to deliver on that promise of what you were trying to do you finish you go ahead and finish your your degree when was it that you said or is it you still work with that charter school until today as, as one of your clients so no we actually lost that contract so there's a lot that goes into this and maybe Correct. we could touch on it but yes, we, we ended up not renewing our contract so um they gave us a contract for that year and keep in mind it was a very small contract so honestly we were we were i was barely being paid enough to pay the people that i was employing basically yeah. um and it and given the charter school environment they don't receive the same amount of funds as other, you know, bigger schools. So that was one issue. And then at the time when I was near the end of my graduation at UCR, a lot of, a lot of things happened. Um, I was going through a lot personally and I honestly did not put in the amount of effort that I needed to, to sustain that contract. So although I think we did a good job fulfilling our obligations, you know, we got very involved in the school. I even coached their football team. You know, I would handle social media for them, all types of different stuff that was outside of our contract. Um, I didn't necessarily put forth the effort and have the courage to put forth the effort to be like, to get that contract renewed is basically what happened. Um, So that happened. And around that time was 2019. So now I'm, I'm basically jobless, right? I don't have this contract. Um, and I was graduating from UCR. So I, lit- I literally had no money. So imagine no money in my bank account. And I'm just like scrolling through job boards, trying to find something. I already have the skills of web development, marketing and things like that. So fortunately enough, I have that and I know I can get a job. But, um, you know, it's not it's not you don't necessarily find the opportunity that you want right away. And I don't, you know, I'm not the type of person I've never worked in like a fast food restaurant or anything like that. I've always tried to find jobs that are related to, you know, what I want to build and what I envision for myself. So ultimately what happened that summer is that I ended up helping people at UCR move. So I literally put my, the one good thing about having a truck, I put my truck up on Facebook, took a picture of the front and the back. And I said, Hey, moving services for 30 bucks an hour. And that that honestly got me through the summer until i ended up getting the next teaching job wow wow that's that's very very impressive again and inspiring you know you just not taking taking stuff like just laying down you just keep moving you know keep just keep swimming towards that shore of dreams that you're trying to get to regardless of the situation the boat may be the boat may be sinking but you know what i'm not going to sink with it i'm going to keep you know paddling along and swimming towards the shore so that's very very great um for our listeners and myself to be able to kind of hear and inspire us to you know keep keep chugging along because it doesn't always work out the way we imagined it to but there's always a a tomorrow a next day you know a next contract in in your case um you know, I'm curious in in business and in life, what would you consider as non-negotiable for you as a person? I'd say something that's been non-negotiable for for me is fitness. So just always making time to go to the gym and exercise or even just, you know, exercise outside. Um, Since I was young, I was also involved in sports. So although I had sports, you know, I still had that video game background. So when I wasn't playing sports, I was playing video games. Um, but fortunately sports did help me in the fitness realm. So I was interested more in fitness. I always wanted to, you know, become or grow bigger and stronger. And that, that, that stuck with me even till today. Like fitness has always been a thing that I've been passionate about as, as a means of relieving stress and just keeping you in that mindset of like, Hey, I, you know, I need to keep pushing forward and I need to keep striving to grow. Gotcha. What, what did you wish that you knew now looking back prior to your entrepreneurial journey? Uh, I'd say I wish I knew that there's, there's honestly not going to be anyone to really help you in the way that you might envision before you get started. So a lot of times, you know, as a student, you might think that people have your back and are willing to support you, but really when the time comes, you know, when it's Sunday and you have a choice to make of whether you're going to go out to the bar or you're going to end up, you know, working towards that goal of yours, um, there's, there's no one there to make the decision for you. Ultimately, you have to be the one that's, you know, self-reliant and can be able to put yourself back on track. Wow. Yeah. Because a lot of times people don't, they don't understand what it is that you're going through, um, as an entrepreneur and, you know, there's, there's deadlines, there's like different, uh, there's a lot of dependencies of what you're trying to do, because if you try to, 
go this way, you're going to lose. You know, there's just, there's a lot of juggle. There's a lot of things you're trying to juggle to keep everything just not falling apart that some people may not have the perspective, not that, you know, they don't understand. It's just, they don't have the perspective because they haven't seen it firsthand themselves yet. So yeah, that's, I, I can imagine the, the difficulties of having to juggle all of that. Um, what would you say throughout all this, throughout the year, ups and downs of, you know, dropping out of school and, you know, like losing a contract, getting a contract, taking calculated risks and um, in hiring people, barely making any money. It wasn't a really sustainable business at that point. Um, what would you say has been the most important part of all of that that you took away? Um, honestly, it goes back to what you said of you just you just got to keep trucking on regardless of external circumstances, regardless of things you can't control and things that honestly you're going to cause for yourself. Right. Like I admitted that, you know, losing that contract was my fault. You know, I could I could choose in that moment of like, hey, I'm going to scrap this whole project and I'm just going to go work a programming job for the rest of my life. Um, or I could choose that and realize that, you know, it's still the land of opportunity. There's still, you know, plenty of opportunity out there. And, you know, ultimately we're all growing. So just being willing to understand that like, hey, mistakes are going to happen. And the main thing is that you acknowledge those mistakes and actually, you know, try and take them into consideration for the next time that thing comes around. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? But before you answer that, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by Thinkin' Local, a fundraising and giving-based marketing platform whose mission is to connect local Main Street businesses who care about making an impact in the local community with schools and nonprofits who believe in supporting their local businesses. Find out more by visiting Think the letter in local.com. And we're back, digging for gold on the Behind Main Street Podcast. So, Manuel, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? For me, honestly, um, I'd say I would, as a superpower, I would like to be able to deal with people's emotions and understand understand really where they're coming from. kind of has to do with emotional intelligence. Um, obviously, this is a skill that you can work on, but it's something that I've struggled with so much that I, w- I would honestly want that to be a superpower of mine. Wow. That's, I've never, yeah, you're like, like I said, you were like my 20th, 20th or 21st interview episode at this point. Yeah. No one has ever, I, I, I personally never have considered that. That's, a, that's like, what is that movie? There's that movie with, I don't know, maybe you're too young, but like Mel Gibson, we can, he can hear like women's thoughts. What women want, I think is what that's called. Mm-hmm. But not exactly emotion, but he could literally hear his hear their thoughts and be able to kind of maneuver <laughs> the way he, he dealt with it. And he became, um, I think he was trying to be creative director for a, for an for a ad agency or something like that. And so he was competing with a woman and he got the creative director position because of course he was trying to sell, I think it was like a magazine for women, something like that. But yeah, that would be, that would be fascinating if you had the emotionally intelligent superpower. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think it would be helpful, like, honestly, for all circumstances, like just being able to read someone's emotions and be able to take an appropriate course of action and understand how what you're doing is making them feel is it could honestly lead to even more opportunity than you imagine. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why for me, I like doing these interviews like on video like this, because doing this on the phone is it would be different. Like just if it w- if we were just audio, because you can't you can't feel I don't know, like even even visually, like if there's visual cues to body languages that you can't get when you're just on the phone, just voice. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, in your opinion, what has been the most crucial personality trait that you feel you had or any entrepreneur needs to have to succeed? Definitely perseverance. So, um, you know, it's a it's a very common question, especially in the interview. If you can demonstrate perseverance or work towards that, you know, just that bulletproof mindset really is something that will have tremendous results in the outcomes that you produce. It all goes back to the stories that we've already talked about, right? Every, every step of the journey was something that, you know, I was dealing with and obviously everyone could take it from their own perspective, but, you know, choosing to move forward is ultimately what's going to, you know, like you said, end up resulting in the outcome that you want. Fascinating. What would you consider your biggest failure up, up to this point? And what did that teach you? 
Um, I'd say one of them would probably be losing that contract. So choosing not or, you know, whatever had happened to not pursue that contract. And also um, the way I quit teaching. So I actually quit teaching in October. Um, so pretty recently, about four months ago. And I, I quit pretty abruptly. So it was kind of like a revelation that hit me um, without getting too much into it. Ultimately, I did leave, I think, on bad terms with the school that I left at, um, which was due to a lot of different reasons. But ultimately, that's something that I wish I could go back and change is how I ended up uh, leaving that school. Gotcha. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that that leads to my next question. Maybe that's the answer that you will have. If you could have one mistake over again. What would it be and how would you do things differently? Would it be staying in that school or would you have still left and maybe chose a different time? Like unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. So um, it's hard. It's hard to know what the right choice is. But what happened during the time in October, um, ultimately something that happened that, you know, made me really consider what I was doing as a career, which was teaching. I had never envisioned to become a teacher, although I do have a passion for helping students and providing them with opportunities, teaching from the position of, hey, I got to wake up at 6 a.m. and I got to leave and get home from work by 5 p.m. every day was never something that was in my game plan. So after experiencing that for a couple of years at uh, Beaumont High School is where I taught, um, it really it really took a toll on me and it took a toll on a lot of educators during the pandemic. But ultimately, I think I still would have left at the time. And it was selfish of me to leave mid-year, but I know that had I not left, then what, you know, these visions that we've talked about and all these things that I do want to accomplish probably would not have been accomplished, quite frankly, because I could have got stuck in the cycle of teaching um, and that day-to-day grind, really. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, is there something or someone maybe other than your mom that you turn to when you feel stuck or even your dad? Um, my dad, my dad is helpful also. Um, but I'd say something that I always turn into is honestly video games. If I need, you know, stress relief, if there is a lot of things going on, video games and working out for me are, you know, my way of relieving stress and just, you know, taking a break from all the things that come with the grind of being an entrepreneur. What, what's your favorite game that you're playing now? Uh, right now, the only game that I play is Valorant. So I used uh-huh. to be a big League of Legends fan. If you guys play League of Legends, it is the most time-consuming game in the world. Imagine a game takes an hour out of your day, and then you know if you play multiple games a day, you're taking up quite a bit of time. But now it's Valorant, and that's actually the only game I play. Wow, wow, that's my son plays that that game, and I always hear him like screaming at his friends, like I don't know what he's saying. He's like, "Whiff there!" Like I. I, I... <laughs> understand what he's saying i mean like i try to play with him because my wife and i literally played games when before we had children like played together mm-hmm. now like whenever i watch him play like i feel like i'm th- i'm gonna throw up because of the sensitivity of his, his mouth the way he like looks looks back and when he throws those i don't know he throws like an orb and it creates like a wall of like colors <laughs> i mean you know what i'm talking about because you played valorant that's what he's playing so he's like like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going trying to, I'm trying to, like, I don't know, use my powers or whatever. So that's fascinating. Um, so today, you know, what what is that drive for you? What is that why for you that keeps you going when you know the going gets tough for you? Uh, for me, it's really about the opportunities that we are creating for students. Um, you know, for honestly, a lot of the mentors that I look to up to virtually and in person, they've always had a mission that starts with helping other people. You know, each one is unique in the way that they choose to help people. But ultimately, I think a lot of fulfillment that can come out of life is just being able and being willing to provide opportunity to people. Even if, you know, you have your own things going on, right? It's easy to prioritize yourself and be selfish, but it's a whole nother thing to really take other people into consideration and ensure that you can help them along their journeys. Wow. Are there any resources today that sort of help you other than your video games that kind of get through the struggles? Yeah. So, um, well, like I said, you have a lot of virtual mentors. And by that, I mean, like I have plenty of people that I look to up up to online that provide content similar to yourself that, you know, they can be a mentor without you having to talk to them in person. So one of those people is Gary Vaynerchuk, like you talked about. A lot of his videos a couple of years ago really, really put things into perspective for me. Um, Chris Doe, that's someone who, you know, is related to marketing. That's a big one. Andy Frisella, he has a podcast called The Real AF Podcast. He's talking a lot about 
you know, quarantine right now, vaccinations, all that type of stuff. He's been a huge influence on me. Um, and even Tim Grover. So Tim Grover has a couple books, um, Relentless, Winning. Those are some of them. Yeah, fascinating. What would you what what would you say has been your biggest like aha moment in life? My biggest aha moment, I think, was probably when I had dropped out of college. So, uh, you know, just dropping out while it might seem like a significant event at the time. Honestly, looking back at it, I don't even consider it like a big deal. And because of that, I think it really put things into perspective like, hell, a lot of a lot of things like this are probably going to happen. Like, I'm going to make mistakes, but ultimately... You know, it, it's how I choose to perceive the mistake and what, how I let it affect me. That really is what's important to consider. So I'd say that's probably my aha moment. Wow. So, I mean, you're still pretty young, but if you had an opportunity to talk to your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Stop playing video games. Um, <laughs> I was in Cal Poly at the time, and I think definitely if – if I had not known video games existed, you know, maybe I would have been a little more attentive to my studies, you know, and really put forth the effort that I needed to put forth to become a computer engineer. Fascinating. Well, as an entrepreneur today, uh, as a founder of a company, what is your favorite productivity hack? Uh, for me, honestly, it's just doing things as they come up. So back to Andy Frisella, he always talks about this idea of your bitch voice. Your bitch voice is basically that voice in your head that tries to steer you away from something that you know you should probably do. So anytime, the, the idea is that anytime that this voice comes up, like for example, it could have been me jumping on this podcast today. Obviously there, you know, I would love to be on your podcast, but there's another side that's like, Hey, uh, maybe I won't be entertaining. Maybe my story doesn't have value. You know, all these different things that kind of come into that realm. Well, his, his concept is really taking it as the moment that you hear that, that's your cue to actually take action and do the thing that you're supposed to do. So really anytime that, you know, I come across a situation like that, it could be as simple as, you know, taking my dog for a walk. If I have the thought, I try and do that thing in the moment that it happens. That's fascinating that you bring that up. I, I, this, uh, I like this really good book. It's by, I'm not sure if you've heard the author. Her name is Mel Robbins. Um, her book, Take Five, is, you know, we, we all have those thoughts. And he she says that, take five, basically take five seconds to kind of absorb that feeling. Like, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like getting up this today. I don't feel like recording a podcast today or editing this video today, whatever. You just take like, you sit back, you breathe, you take five, four, three, two, one, and then boom. You, you gave yourself that five seconds to not do what you were supposed to do. So you give yourself that five second procrastination period and you just go do it. So like, oh, like is in line with what you were saying, but I'm definitely going to check out that, that podcast real AF, right? Yeah. Real AF. It used to be called, uh, it had a different name before, but he changed oh. it at the start of the pandemic. Gotcha. I'll definitely check that out. Well, if there was uh three wishes that were granted to you today, what is it that you would wish for? What would I wish for? Um, Right now is a pretty tough time for my family. So I'd say, honestly, that I could repair my relationship with my family. Uh, that would be one of my wishes. Um, besides that, I honestly, I'm not a very religious or spiritual person for the most part. So I don't like to think of, you know, external sources as, you know, possibly playing an influence in this in, in what I can create. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, can you recommend three books for our audience that you felt has helped you? Definitely. So, uh Winning and Relentless by Tim Grover would be two of them. And then another one would be The, the Dichotomy of Leadership by uh, Jocko. Jocko Willink. Yeah. yeah. Great guy. I love, I love every time he, every time I hear some of his, uh, his, his videos, when they, they take his voice and then they apply like, uh, like inspiring, like videos into it, like somebody working out, mm -hmm. somebody like climbing a mountain is like, man, it, it gets you. It's like David Goggins is the same thing. He, he, ha they have that ump to like, just. Like just get beat yourself up for yourself. Like shit, what am I not doing today? <laughs> he has exactly. that for me. I mean, he's a Navy SEAL guy, so <laughs> it definitely yeah. has that Goggins credibility. Goggins too, right? Goggins mm -hmm. was Navy Goggins SEAL. was as well. Yeah, he, mm -hmm. he he considered himself the baddest man on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, based on what he does, I'd say that's arguably <laughs> true. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, well, you know, today, what are you most looking forward to? Your future in entrepreneurship? Um, I'm looking forward to the company that we're trying to build. So honestly, just seeing a lot of these things come to fruition, even even just the idea of having an after school program running um, has been a long term vision. So since I first started in those days of web, web development and started getting my foot in education, um, slowly things are coming to fruition. But I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm eager to see what comes out of it. And I know with the right, you know, with the right network and with the people that I have on my team, we can make it happen. Excellent. Excellent. Is there any question that you wish I had asked you that I didn't get a chance to? I don't think so. You didn't ask my middle name. <laughs> oh, what's your middle name? <laughs> it's uh, Joel. Joel. Manuel Joel Zavala. Excellent. Yeah. So if you say Manuel, it rhymes. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Manuel Joel. Yeah. So Manuel Joel, I mean, sorry for. Oh, Manuel know, Joel. Speakers. Ah, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you. Correcting us, all our listeners <laughs> who will listen to your episode. Well, in closing, what is one piece of practical advice that you can share with our listeners in their journey of entrepreneurship? Um, a lot of people that come to me honestly say that they, you know, they're interested in entrepreneurship. And I do think it is a route for everyone. And kind of like the idea of my dad and having these side gigs on the side, everyone should have a side gig. If you don't, chances are you'll say something along the lines of, hey, I just don't know what my side gig would be on, or I don't know what my passion is. And for those people, all I could say is just try the thing that first came to your mind. Chances are you had one idea when you were sitting with your friends, when you were sitting with your family, when you were sitting alone in your bed and you thought, hey, you know, what if I started writing a book? And then going back to that thing we talked about, take five seconds, you know, tell that voice in your head to stop talking and go do that thing. Because chances are you've already came up with the idea. And you honestly, you just need to take that first step. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for that amazing gold nugget and actionable nugget that are that I and our listeners can use. Where can listeners learn more about you and your business? Uh, so you can find me on all platforms by searching my name, and you can also learn more about Student Hires under the tag Student Hires and on our website, studenthires.com. Wow. Thank you so much, Manuel, for being such a great guest on the show and for giving me and our listeners actionable gold nuggets that we can apply to not only life, but also our business. I want to invite our listeners to please connect with Manuel from Student Hires. I will have his information on the description of this episode. I urge you to also please connect with me um, if you want to be a guest on this podcast or want to suggest a guest. I also want to urge you to share, subscribe, leave a rating and review. I would very much appreciate your honest feedback, which helps me continually provide impactful content that I hope you will find valuable. And always remember that every day that you face adversity, think of it as an opportunity to find the gold inside you. Until next time, have a successful day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind Main Street Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Remember to visit www.behindmainstreet.com.